All right, let's start out like this. What's two plus one? And if you say three, then you can watch the rest of this Watchman video broadcast. Hello folks, this is Pastor Mike Hoggard coming to you from Watchman Studios with another Watchman video broadcast. We're counting numbers in the Bible and we've got all the hard ones out of the way. One and two, and two was the, the I guess, the carryover into this one. If you, if you guess that two plus, or if you just know from math, two plus one is three, or if you used your fingers, two plus one is three then the rest of this video should be a breeze for you. We're going to look at the number three in the Bible, and we're going to start out. Let's see here. First things first, there's several different meanings, and I, I, haven't, um, I haven't really got to the point where I can see how all three of them link together. But uh, we, if we go through our number meanings so far, the number one is for beginnings, and first things, and God. God is one. Uh, God is always first in our life. Jesus was the firstborn, things like that. Genesis 1, in the beginning. That's where we're going to start today, uh, because there are three things in verse 1, okay, of Genesis 1, and the Bible tells you almost that very thing. Anyway, the number two is number four, division. Now, you got Adam. Adam was one, and God took his rib out and formed a woman. And now the two, there's two different people now in Genesis chapter 2. We have two testaments, two witnesses, um, all kinds of things. The, the, the things that God is going to do double. God has spoken once, yea, twice. That means God spoke once in the Old Testament, yea, twice. God speaks twice now in the New Testament. I love this. But now look at the number three. Okay. In fact, when I was quoting Genesis 2, when, when God brought the woman to Adam, we basically have the beginnings of the number three. Because Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. Uh, therefore, let a man leave his father and his mother and, and he shall cleave into his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And we know that uh, in a marriage, a good marriage, if, if God blesses it and we don't live stupidly, uh, then the husband and the wife act as one together, even though they're two separate people. They are one together. But then the beauty of marriage and the beauty of the two becoming one flesh, when that firstborn child is born, now we have three. 
now we have the beginnings of a family, all right? And I like being in, I'm, I'm big on family. I love my family. The Hoggard family, the, my mother's maiden name was Corzine, that's German, and I love all the Corzine side and all the Hoggard side, and I love my wife, and I love her family, the Leonards, and I love all of my family, my daughters, my sons, all of my grandchildren. I am all about family, okay? God, God, thank you, God, for giving us family. But he starts out the whole creation basically showing that God is three, and yet he's one. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, let's stop and examine this for a minute. And uh, I have an old friend, I haven't talked to him in years, but he was a, he's an a, a emergency medical doctor. He works in an ER, and he's the one that helped me with this, and he's also the one that showed me that the human cell was a picture of the tabernacle, and once I started seeing that, and you know, the DNA and the numbers all came in together. His name is Chuck Thurston, but Chuck said, Mike, you have right here in Genesis 1, chapter 1, exactly what Romans tells us, that the Godhead can be seen in the creation. And I said, how so? And he said, take a look at it. He said, number one, in the beginning. Now you have time. And all physics people, I can't say physicians because that means like medical doctors, but all people who study and know physics knows that time and matter basically always go together. You cannot have one without the other, and you can't have the other without the one. So you have to have time. And so there was, and it's hard to, it's hard to just say, what, I wonder what happened before God created time. There is no before, because then that would be time still. You understand? So God created time first, tick-tock, tick-tock, linear time in the beginning. So now we have time. God created the heaven. That represents space, okay? And not just outer space, all space. This space and this space and this space and this space all and this space. All things have to fit. You cannot have matter without some physical location to put it in. See how it works? God does, God does everything in order. The, the, um, the Big Bang is exactly backwards from this. Here we have, in the beginning, God created the heaven, that space, and the earth, and that's all of matter. That represents every atom, every molecule, uh, every quark, every Higgs boson, every... Uh, Adam and everything that exists in this three-dimensional universe that we live in, you cannot have matter, which is what the earth represents, without a heaven or space to put it in, and you cannot have either one of those without them being governed by linear time. So follow it. In the beginning, in the beginning is time. God created the heaven, that's space. 
and the earth, that's matter. So all three of them point in the direction of the God that created it. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Let's see what the Apostle Paul said. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God is, is giving to Paul the exact words that he wants him to write down. And so this is our understanding from God. Paul says this, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. And what is he talking about here? Uh, Paul simply is talking about the fact that on judgment day, no one, no one will have an excuse for why they rejected God. Because I've had people ask me this since I was a teenager. Well, what about this tribe in, you know, in the Amazon jungle that's never even seen an airplane and they've had no contact with the outside world and they worship trees and they worship this and they worship that? People ask me this question, do you think they'll still go to heaven? And my, you know, one of the things that was in my mind at the time was, well, if they are, why are we sending missionaries to tell them the gospel and then ruin it for those who reject the gospel, then they'll go to hell. Why don't we just not say anything to anybody, let the gospel disappear off the earth, and then everybody goes to heaven. And that may be the devil's plan, but that's not God's plan. God says, let me read the verses that come before that. Um, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven uh, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. God said that everybody holds the truth inside of them. They, there's something in us. It's probably our soul, but it's in us that there is one God and his son, Jesus Christ, and his spirit can dwell in us. There's something in man that tells him the truth, but men hold that truth in unrighteousness. And then he says, uh, verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Verse 20, for the invisible things of him, meaning God, from the creation of the world, that's why I started in Genesis 1, are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and, look at that word, Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, I may not understand exactly how this works in someone who has never, ever, ever listened to the preaching of the gospel or knows anything about man's God or anything like that. I just know what God said in his word is that God said that they hold the truth, but they hold it in unrighteousness. And so God says in the judgment, God has revealed his wrath from heaven in the judgment. They're going to be, they're not going to be able to say, well, I didn't know you, God. I'm sorry, but I don't know who you are. You say you're God. I don't know. We had gods. They're not going to be able to say anything except I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And unfortunately, that's not good enough. That's why it falls upon us to preach the gospel, to try to save men's souls first. Let's try to save men first. 
and let God take care of the rest. Amen. Uh, but anyway, that so right there, God is showing us that his Godhead, and what is his Godhead? What we commonly call the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is not anywhere in the Bible. That's a word uh, that men have used to describe the theology of our God being three and yet one. We're going to read a verse that tells us exactly how that works, uh, but for now, he uses the word Godhead. And here's what's, here's what's really interesting, is that he uses the word Godhead exactly three times in the King James Bible. We've already seen Romans 1.20, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Acts chapter 17, notice this. You'll see a pattern of three. For, the, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, is like unto, let's count these, one, two, three, gold or silver or stone. We ought not think that our Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, and then he says graven by art and man's device. That's very similar to what God told the Israelites back in the Old Testament, back when they were in the wilderness. God said, you remember the day that I met you on Mount Sinai and you heard my voice and the trumpet sounding long and the mountain on fire? You remember that day? Did you see my face any? Did you see anything that, that looked like me up on that mountain? And the answer is no. And God basically said, so then don't carve an image out of stone or wood or overlay it with gold or anything like that and say that it's me because you don't know what I look like. Now, the people who walked with Christ personally for the time that he was in his ministry, some three, three and a half years, they knew what Christ looked like they probably remembered it their whole lives. But you and I haven't. So why is it that people think that they can draw a picture and say, that's Jesus? Or that people can carve an image and even, even watch this, even put it on a cross and pray to it and say, well, that I'm praying to Jesus because he, you know, he's right there on the cross. You don't know what he looked like. So you can't say it's God because we haven't seen God, okay? So he's telling you, we ought not think that the Godhead can be graven with art and man's device. That's second place. Third place is Colossians 2.9. For in him, meaning Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, I like this because in Christ, who is the express image of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's pretty interesting. And again, that's another reason why, I mean, if you say that, well, that was God the Father saying to the Israelites that you didn't see me, so you can't carve an image. But we can carve an image of Jesus because we kind of think he looked like this. Mm -mm. Jesus said, I look like my Father. We look the same. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the same rule applies since we haven't seen Jesus in our time or in any time past up until 
Christ went into heaven. No one has seen him, so we can't carve an image of him. I'm just throwing this out to all of our Catholic friends and maybe some of our Lutheran friends or anybody else. You got statues of Jesus. I just, I just, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. So here's what I like. In him, Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Bodily. So in Christ, who was made also, in, he was made in the image of God and the image of man. When we go back to Genesis chapter 1, and when we see God creating man, have you ever counted that? I've done this a lot, but let's do it. And God said, let us, notice it's plural, make man in our image, that's plural, after our likeness, that's plural, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God, watch this, now here's another three coming up. For God created man in his own image, that's one, in the image of God created he, him, that's two, male and female created he, them, that's three. Now, let me help you with this one before anybody else tries to uh, mess your brain up and your soul up by trying to tell you that God is omnigendered, that and, and some preachers make it sound spiritual like, well, God is God. God certainly is above being male or female. When you ask me, if, is God male or female? I would say that God is God, and so God is above gender. No, no, uh-uh. that's not. Get the Pure Bible Search software, download it for free. And then do this, type in the word Father, and count all the times where God is referred to as Father. You see, that's masculine, that's male. And Jesus, all the places where Jesus is, and ask yourself, does the Bible say he's the Son of God or the daughter of God, or let's not offend anybody. Let's just say he's the person of God because we don't want to offend our transgendered believers. Excuse me. God created genders and God divided male from female. And this verse in the King James does not give you any indication that God is both male and female, and that's how God created. See, there's some that are out there, and Kenneth Copeland's one of them, and there's a bunch of others, I suspect, that would say, well, when God created Adam, Adam was just like God, and so Adam had male and female in him. And then when God got ready to create the woman, he took the female out of Adam. Are you listening to this? Took the female out of Adam and made a woman and brought them back together. I, you have just handed the entire transgendered movement the ammunition they needed to destroy who God is, who Christ is, and who we are supposed to be as we are God's in God's image. 
okay? So the King James is right. In fact, let me give you another one just to, to help you out on this one, okay? And, and look at the language here of verse 27. So God created man in his, that's God, his own image, his, masculine. In the image of God created he, he is masculine, referring to God, him, referring to Adam. In the image of God created he, man, him, man. Male and female created he, them. Not created they, him, created he, him. I'm going to get, uh, I told you I was going to help you out with this male and female thing of, of Adam and Eve and God. And Genesis chapter 5, uh, I think, pretty much settles it. Verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man. In the likeness of God made he, him, he says it twice now, that Adam is all male. Male and female created he, them. Not created he, him, created he, them. God created a male and then God created a female. That's what it's saying. And blessed them and got and called their name Adam. See, all these, all these supposedly straight people that are going around saying, well, you, you need to refer to people by the gender they choose. Because what, who's to say who a woman is? Who's to say who a man is? And you should just ask them, uh, tell me what your last name is and where'd you get it from? Because more than likely, it's a woman. They probably got a last name from their husband. It's just been the way it's been since Adam. God called their name Adam, Mr. and Mrs. Adam, in the day when they were created. So anyway, let's move on to the number three. I like this. Going back to Genesis 1:26, God said, let us, plural, make man in our image, plural, after our likeness. So he says it plural, and he does it three times. Let us. Make man in our image after our likeness. Poor Eric Von Daniken, who's still alive, I think. Mr. Uh, God is a UFO man. He wrote Chariots of the Gods and other books. Basically, he's looking at the Bible. He grew up uh, going to Catholic school, learning about God, and he didn't like what he heard about God. And so he decided that in Genesis 1, it's not God putting man on the earth, when it says us and our and our, that it's the space aliens. That's what he believed. And believe it or not, that same idea, they don't use the word space aliens, but a lot of astrophysicists, astrobiologists, um, anthropologists say that with the div diversity of species on this earth, it's very, very, very unlikely that DNA just popped up all at once on the planet earth. In fact, Francis Crick, the guy who helped discover the makeup and the model of DNA, basically said the same thing. He said, there's just no way. The chances, I think he said it this way, the chances of life just forming on this planet out of absolutely nothing 
is greater than all of the atoms in the entire universe put together. That's how high the number is. That's how, that's how far out the chance is that life just showed up on this planet. And I, I would agree with that. There's just no way. So they have this idea called panspermia. And it basically says that there was this comet or this asteroid. It was just blown along through space and got caught in Earth's gravity and collided down, uh, down to the Earth and spilled DNA onto the Earth. And that's what people believe. Von Daniken believed that it was done deliberately by space aliens because he's looking at Genesis 1 and where they say, let us, he's like it's, like it's a space council sitting at a table and they're all saying, you know what? They see this earth down there. Let, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And all the aliens agreed and they put man on the earth. That is, I'm sorry, but that just doesn't work. And that's not what the Bible says. What the Bible's telling you is, especially with saying it three times, is that God is three and he's still one. And then again, and God created man in his own image. Uh, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. The number three is, is still there. I, I just like this. So a lot of times when you see the number three in the Bible, when you see three things, or when you see a list that has three things in it, or a phrase of three words, and we'll get into that. Like here in Isaiah chapter 6, Verse three, this is when Isaiah is like, um, you know, my lips are unclean. I'd like to speak for you, God, but my lips are unclean. And the angel comes and puts a coal on his mouth and purifies his mouth. What does Isaiah see the seraphim doing? Isaiah six, verse three, and one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now I went to Bible college, two different ones. And I learned a lot of things I probably could just do without, but I, I know them, so I can kind of pass them on and say, I don't think that quite works. But I was told, I don't remember if it was the Hebrew or the Greek, that in one of those languages, when they repeated a word like that, holy, 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 it was given more emphasis to the original word. Like if I said, good, 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 like that, you know, you understand by my inflection in my voice that I think that something is really, really good. So they say that's why it's repeated, holy, holy, holy. No, no, these, these angels are looking at God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And that's so true. Amen. So that's repeated in Revelation chapter four, where John gets to see the pretty much the same place. He's looking at the throne of God and he sees one sitting on the throne. I like that. But there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So he sees one on the throne, but he's seeing three. So in Revelation 4, verse 8, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. You see the, you see the pattern? Number one, we have holy, thrice holy, three times, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. 
Then we have two other phrases to go with that. Each one of those phrases can be divided up into threes. Holy, holy, holy. Holy to the Father, holy to the Son, holy to the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, of course. Lord, God Almighty, three separate names for God. He's Lord, he's God, he's the Almighty, but all three of them together, Lord God Almighty. That's the second phrase. And the third phrase is, which was and is and is to come. And I didn't do that with Genesis 1. I I neglected to tell you, but I'll go ahead and tell you now. Notice that he says, which was and is and is to come. Remember what we learned about Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, time, God created the heaven, space, and the earth, matter. And each one of those appear in three different forms. Time is either past, present, or future. Space is either this way, this way, or this way. Three dimensions. Ooh, right? And then matter, solid, liquid, gas, made by God. Amen? So we have three phrases, holy, 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 each one divided up three times, Lord God Almighty, three distinct names for God, yet one name now for God, Lord God Almighty, and he was and is and is to come three different times. God was in the past, and I can tell you, God still is. Amen? And God is to come back one of these days. So imagine, imagine you've heard of whippoorwill, if you live in America, okay? If you've heard of a whippoorwill, like in the summer night, you got the window open because it's hot outside, and you hear this, you can't sleep because there's a whippoorwill outside your window. Whippoorwill, whippoorwill, whippoorwill. And you do it for hours. Think about that. And then think about these angels. And that's all they do for eternity is say this, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And you know what I, you know what I think? I think it will sound absolutely amazing. And I think a billion and a half years into eternity, we won't get tired of hearing that. That's, that's just what I think. Amen. Now, we're getting to the verse that separates the men from the boys. Or shall I say, the King James from the not King James. First John and I want you to open, if you have a Bible, and it's a Bible you read all the time, I want you to open it up to 1 John chapter 5, and I want you to read verse 7 with me. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Pop, here it is. 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, not bear witness in the earth, bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, if you're looking in your Bible for the words that I just read and you don't see them, what you see is there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. If you see that, you've got the wrong Bible. I hate to tell you. 
1 John 5, 7, the, probably the most debated verse amongst all who call upon the name of Jesus. Most scholars will say it should have never been put in the Bible. It's an addition. We took it out because we don't believe it should be there. And you have people who are devoted to the Word of God, the way it came to us. And we say that verse has always been in there and it's going to remain in there. And God kept it in there. He made sure that that verse retained its place in 1 John because it's the only verse. And, and maybe, maybe I haven't read another verse like it. Maybe it's there and I just, I just read over it and didn't see it for what it was or whatever. But to my knowledge right now, this is the only verse that correctly identifies and establishes the doctrine of the Godhead or the Trinity as three yet being one, not three different gods that we serve. That's false doctrine. But one God, three in the Godhead. Now, again, I, I, I can't quite fathom it, but I believe it. And I'm here to tell you that if you don't have a King James, you will never in your Bible find another verse anywhere that declares that God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are three, and yet they are one. Now, you'll, you'll find verses where, like, you'll, like when Jesus was uh, baptized, we had this in, I had this in my notes, when Jesus was baptized, you have Jesus coming up out of the water, you have the Holy Spirit lighting on Him as a dove, and you have the voice of God up in heaven saying to everybody on the earth, this is my beloved son. But it doesn't say that all three of them are one. It doesn't say it. It doesn't even, it doesn't even allude to that. It doesn't, the Holy Spirit just showing up like a dove and landing on Jesus, that doesn't show that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are one and the same. It doesn't. In fact, it separates them more than anything. You have God up here, you have Jesus here, you have the Holy Spirit flying around like a dove. That looks like three different gods. There is only one verse in the universe that ties all of the doctrine of the Godhead or the Trinity together the way it needs to be, and that is 1 John 5, 7. And so that's called the, in religious scholarly circles, they call it the Johannine Comma. Um, I don't know why, but anyway, that's what they call it. And the reasoning is, is that it doesn't show up in any Greek manuscript until 1000 AD. That's not quite 100% accurate, but I'm not going to get into that debate today. I just believe that John wrote this down. God told him to write it down. I believe that some people took it out after John wrote it down, and any manuscript that had it in it, people went and destroyed them, got rid of them. 
That's kind of what I think. I don't, not, I don't know it for sure, so don't pin it on me. But then God made sure that it got back in there. And it's there, and I believe it. See, this Bible is the one that I read to save my soul. This is the covenant, the contract that God gave to me and said, Mike, do you believe these words? And I said, yes, God, I believe every single one of them. So you asked me what I believe about 1 John 5, 7. I believe it should be in there and don't you dare take it out. Amen. Amen. Then we have three on the earth that bear witness. Look at verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he had testified of his Son. Now look at that verse. Look at verse 8 again. In verse 7, in, we have three that bear record in heaven. In heaven, the Father, the Word, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. Okay? These three are one. Then on the earth, we have three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And it doesn't say that these three are one. These three agree in one. Okay? Oh, water. What's it made of? H2O. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. One, two, three. Hydrogen is number one in the periodic table of elements, if you remember that. And why, why, is, why is hydrogen number one? These three are one. Are you ready? Because hydrogen has one electron, one neutron, and one proton. How many? One, two, three. And these three are one. That's hydrogen. And Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So that's two hydrogen atoms. And then the oxygen atom. Oxygen's number eight on the periodic table. Eight is a number for new beginnings. Oxygen represents air, the spirit. Beautiful. I love it. Anyway, three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Now we have a witness on the earth and we have a witness in heaven. And he said, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Now, he's, if you look at verse nine, verse nine basically is giving you a summary of of what he just said in verse 7 and verse 8. So, if we receive the witness of men, verse 8, the witness of God, verse 7, is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. And these three are one. Amen? Oh, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. They're represented in the tabernacle. The Godhead is. See, the Jews, they just, I love Israel. I love the Jews. But they are exactly what God said about them. They're stiff-necked, stubborn, hard-hearted. They have added so many additions to the law of God and the Word of God in the Old Testament that they've made the law void. Jesus said that. And so when it comes to, when they read, you know, verses like Genesis, you know, one where God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
They don't have an answer for that. The fact that God's name in Hebrew, Elohim, the I am, means it's plural. And they don't get it. Because Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, Bereshith, Elohim created the heaven and the earth. Now, if you write that literally the way it says it, in the beginning, the gods created the heaven and the earth. Well, that's not what we believe. And that's not true according to the rest of the Bible. So it must be, yes, it's Elohim in Hebrew, but it's singular in English. And they just, they, they have a problem with this. They can't handle it. They say, God's not three, God's one. But look at the tabernacle. You'll see God there in three different forms. Number one, Exodus 25, 10, they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. That's the, uh, the ark of the covenant that's in the most holy place where the law was put and the pot of manna and all that stuff. Exodus 25, 23, and thou shalt make a table of shittim wood. The table is the table of showbread. It sits to the north. And then Exodus 25, 31, and thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. The candlestick has seven candles on it. That represents the seven spirits of God. That's what John saw in Revelation chapter 4. The seven spirits of God are listed in uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Okay, the seven spirits of God are listed there. So right here, these three are in the tabernacle. And it's why there's only one man can go in there. Because as soon as he walks inside there, he's in the presence of God. The table, Jesus said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. The spirit there, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And the ark of the covenant, and what does it contain in there? The word of God. Because God instructed Moses to put the copy of the law that he wrote inside the Ark of the Covenant, just like in the cell nucleus. But anyway, all three of them, right there in the holy place of the tabernacle. They're worshiping the form of God, but they can't understand God yet. The veil is still over their eyes. One of these days. One of these days. And see, they should have got it here. I mentioned this verse earlier, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus, also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened up, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. You would think that at least Peter and James and the other disciples would see that and they're going, God, Jesus, God. Wow, these three are one. You would think they would have got it. But apparently nobody did until after Jesus into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down and starts revealing things to the, the apostles and the disciples and the early church fathers. And all of a sudden now, Paul, you got Paul writing all this doctrine out. You got John, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Okay? 
So you have the Old Testament giving, uh, showing you the Godhead, the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You have the New Testament here showing you that there are three, but again, without 1 John 5, 7, you don't get the doctrine that they're one. You just get it that there's three. All right, now take a look at this. We're going to look at what happens in the Bible on the third day. We've established the Godhead as being one and yet three, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So then the things that are three or things that are the third are going to have a special meaning and a special uh, relation to the overall meaning of the number three. So let's look at, and we're going to see a pattern here. This happened, this event happened on the third day of creation. Let's see it. Genesis 1 verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together under one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. Now, what I'm going to show you here is not in uh, the two books I've written, the first one called uh, By Divine Order, and it uh, was my first book on Bible numbers and number patterns in the King James. The second one called the King James Code, because all of the number patterns and the number meanings that I found, I found in the King James. I didn't find them in these other translations, especially the NIV, because they ruined them. They took them out. They just, I won't get into all that. But anyway, um, this, I, I realized while I'm studying this over again to make these notes, it occurred to me that there were three times in the Old Testament where this happened, where God took the seawater or the water and gathered it over on one place and God let dry land appear. You see where I'm going with this? The first time, you guessed it, Exodus chapter 14, and the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward, but lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. So there's the first one, the first occasion where God took the water, moved it over into one place and let the dry land appear. So we had the water in one place and the land in the other. I mean, think about it. The whole earth is made of dirt. It's just that most of that dirt is covered over with seawater or water in general. Okay, That's why they call it the earth, because that's what it's made of. It just happens to be covered over with water. So God, in this case for the Israelites, he moved the water over in one place and put it in its place, and he put the dry land in its place, and he said, you're going to walk on dry land. And I believe that. I heard this thing in Bible college, and I don't think the professor was teaching it like he believed it. He was just given this idea that some theologian somewhere said that uh, in the, there's a place along the Red Sea where when the certain tide is, is right, 
the water level is, is just a few inches high, and the Israelites walked across there and made that their, their, their crossing of the Red Sea. They just, you know, maybe added to the story, made it sound like God did some miracle. Well, you see, that in itself has got to be a miracle because once Israel walked across, what you say, on like four or five inches of water, how did Pharaoh drown in four inches of water? It just doesn't make sense. But any, liberal theologians in general don't make sense to me. I just rather believe the Bible, amen? So we have one place here, Genesis or Exodus chapter 14. We have another place, Joshua, because... Again, God could have, once he got them past Mount Sinai, they could have just walked right into the promised land. In fact, that probably was the plan. But they didn't because of the giants, and so God cursed them, and they got to walk 40 years until that generation dies off and a new generation. But they go all the way over to the east and come in the promised land going east to west. And if you know anything about the River Jordan, it runs almost a straight line, north and south, okay? So they had to cross Jordan. I love it. And did they get wet? In Joshua 3, 14, And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up and heap very far from the city of Adam, that is, beside Zaratan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. And there's a, as, I love this. Once again, God made the water go over here Dry ground here so his people could get across. And um, I like this story because right after this, God tells Joshua to do this. Joshua tells, he picks one guy, an elder, from each of the 12 tribes. And he says, I want all 12 of you guys to pick up a big rock from the ground here. And I want you to walk over there to the midst of the River Jordan where the dry ground is, and I want you to put your stone there. And then, when you do that, I want you to get a stone that was underneath the River Jordan, pick it up, bring it over here on dry ground, and set it down into a, like a heap. And he said, because we're going to leave a memorial. I like this. There's another meaning that goes with this that has to do with the number 12. We're going to have to wait for that one, okay? Because it'll take a little while to explain. But 12 stones put in the River Jordan, 12 stones taken out of the River Jordan, and they were set up like a pillar. And Joshua said, I want everybody to know. And when they see this pillar of stones, when your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren ask you, Grandpa, what are these stones? 
Son, we walked across on dry ground. Those stones were at the bottom of the Jordan River. And, and Joshua had asked me, as a member of this tribe, to go and put a stone in the bottom of the River Jordan from the ground and then get a stone from Jordan and put it over here on dry ground as a testimony to the fact that we saw God divide the waters as God did in the days of Moses. Mm. I love it when God does some wonderful thing and then, and then tells us, now this is for a memorial for you to tell your children and your children's children and your children unto the third and fourth generation. Because I'm a grandpa now and it's my job to make sure I tell my children and my children's children and eventually their children, the great things that God has done for me, the memorial that I want to leave behind is my testimony of what God has done. Amen. Got one more. Remember Elijah? The day that he was raptured, translated into heaven. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 7, And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. Again, that's the river Jordan. And of course, when Elisha saw Elijah go up into heaven by, in that chariot by the whirlwind, Elijah took, uh, or excuse me, Elisha took Elijah's mantle, smote the waters with it, parted again. He walks over on dry ground to the other side. Now he's the prophet of God to those people, and God's going to give him a, God has already blessed him with a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. Those are, as far as I know, three different times in the Old Testament that God divided the waters from the dry ground. Now, I little theory about this, and I, I hate to tell you theories because I could be wrong. But see, I believe there are three heavens. That's made clear from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that uh, Paul said he knew someone that was caught up into the third heaven. Well, that tells me there's three. So I got it figured the atmosphere around us, that's first heaven, the sky above, heaven number one. And there's water up there dividing this world from the sky world. Because I've flown in enough planes to know that you fly above a cloud line and you've got all that space up there and you still got a lot of air 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 feet above you. And then there's more clouds. But anyway, you cross through that water. Now you're in the second heaven, which is outer space. One of these days, God's going to call me up and I'm going to go farther than any man on earth has ever dared to dream of. I'm going to go all the way to the end of this heaven, this universe, second heaven. And God's going to divide that water and provide a way for me to cross from the second heaven to the third heaven. And there I'll be forever.
I hope, I hope you are going to go there too. I hope that in anything that I do and say, no matter how far out it may sound or how wacky or whatever, I hope and pray that something I say is a blessing to you and something that I read out of God's Word all of a sudden just hits you because it's something that has been on your heart or it's a question that you've had and God answered it through me somehow because I'd like for us to take that journey together. Going from this world, crossing the rivers and the oceans that separate us from here to heaven and, and God carrying us through all the way to cross the River Jordan. Won't you come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land I am. I'm bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. This is Pastor Mike. You're the reason why we do what we do. Thank you for your prayers for us, your help for our ministry in Kenya. Keep it up. I just came from being with those people, and I, I love them more now than I ever have. They've conferred upon me an honor. I get to be an elder now for the people in Turkana, and I take that seriously. Pray that God will continue to use us, us together, working together, striving so that those people could be free, could be fed, and know the gospel. This is Pastor Mike. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.